Welcome to the Local Church Matters podcast, where we talk about the matters of the local church and why the local church matters. I am Greg. I am here with my co-host and co-pastor, Brad. Hello, hello. And we are here to, again, talk about the local church. Local church is um, on our hearts. We are local church pastors. Brad, much longer than me. Easy now. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, we uh, we love the church, and we want to talk about things of the church. Today is special. Every day is special, I guess. But this particular episode, we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. Why does the church exist in the first place? So the purpose of the local church, that's what we're going to be talking about. Why does it exist? Uh, can we actually define why it exists? Or uh, are we allowed to do that? Or has God already done it? Um, is the existence of the church different than, say, the Old Testament, the Old Testament Israel before the church? Uh, why is the church the only institution that Jesus is building? You know, What's the reason for the church's existence in the world? Why are we here? Why can't? God just do something without us, you know, what we want to look at the purpose of the church. And I think we can be real clear up front and say something totally radical, right? Hmm. <laughs> Not really. Unfortunately, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> it's probably radical in our current day. But if you read the Bible, it's very simple. The church exists for God's glory. Hmm. The church exists for, for God's glory. It really is that simple. And you have to sort of understand who God is. Well, at least you have to understand how the Bible talks about God and his glory. God is called the king of glory five times in one psalm, Psalm 24. Uh, in Psalm 29, he is called the God of glory. In Psalm 145, he's called great, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And then in Isaiah 45, God tells Israel, his people, I am the Lord, and there is no other but other. Beside me, there is no God. There is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. And so he is there for his glory. He will not give his glory to another. He is zealous and jealous for his glory. Um, and as you read scripture, we find uh, that everything is really meant for God's glory. Uh, we see that in creation, of course. Psalm 104 praises God for his creation. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. And it's a whole psalm about the glory of God in his creation. Uh, we see this is the purpose of heaven, right? Yeah. Uh, that he is not only that he's not only the, the object of praise and glory on earth, but he's also in heaven. And we see that. In the throne room scene in Revelation 4, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And then in chapter 5, Revelation, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. So it's not just on the earth, uh, not just creation that gives him glory, but also that is heaven. And then, of course, uh, Israel. Psalm 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. 
Um, and, and the people in the Old Testament saints knew that to be true. Uh, in the Psalms, uh, God is called my glory to the Psalm writers and the cry of Psalm 115, one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give the glory. Hmm. So when we arrive at the church, what happens, Brad? Do we get uh, same thing? <laughs> do we get a new thing all of a sudden? Does God like ah, I'm done with my glory? I did that. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Uh, there is no higher purpose for anything to exist than the glory of God. So certainly, that should be the church's purpose as well. Yeah, and and of course, we find that is absolutely the the purpose of of the church in in the New Testament writing, First Corinthians ten thirty one whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. So mu even mundane things in life do all to the glory of God. First uh, Peter four in everything, God may be glorified. Uh, we even see in Ephesians one, if you read through that text about our salvation, our salvation is not chiefly about us, but rather three times it says to the praise of his glory. And then finally, in 1 Peter 2, we are called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. So it's not you are saved to proclaim your own excellencies, but rather his excellencies who's called you out of darkness. Yeah, just a footnote. That's, that's actually a great way to think of the glory. You think glory of God, what even is that? The excellencies of him. So when you're talking about the glory of God, you're talking about the display of his attributes, his character, his nature. And that's why it's not unself. It's not, that's why it's not selfish for God to be, uh, you know, preoccupied with his glory. Uh, his glory is the display of his attributes and who benefits from that more than than us, his creation. So we, we would be deprived if we were not able to see the glory of God and and live to the glory of God because there is no higher, there's no greater beauty. There's no, there's nothing more excellent than him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Romans 11 sums it up pretty good for him, for from him, through him, to him, including the church are all, uh, uh, are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And he even said it to uh, Israel in Isaiah 43, everyone who's called by my name. So that's going to eventually include the church and whom I've created for my glory, whom I forward, formed, even whom I have made. And so the Westminster Confession or Shorter Catechism begins right, doesn't it? Yeah. Chief in a man is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Exactly right. Yeah. So the church exists to glorify God. Now, there are actually three specific ways in which the church gives God glory that we see in the text of the New Testament. And they are simply this, and this is where we're going. So you'll know where we're at, and uh, you get to hear what the rest is. But the church displays God's wisdom. That's how we give God glory. The church bears fruit. That's how we give God glory. And then the church provokes unbelieving Israel to jealousy and repentance. Hmm. We're back to Israel again. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, let's talk about these. We give God glory first through how the church displays God's wisdom. 
The question is how? How does the church display God's wisdom? And very simply, it's because how we get how God gets the truth to the world, his truth to the world. So if we think about how God has gone about getting his message out, he could have done it on his own, of course. But Hebrews 1 tells us he first spoke through the prophets, uh, and then he spoke through Jesus. And then Jesus in John 20 gave authority to his, his apostles, his disciples, to speak the truth. And then the apostles gave the authority to the church elders to speak what has been entrusted to them. And so God has always handed down his truth to receive his glory so that his people, so the world would hear uh, uh, his truth. And that was always done through his people. And so it becomes really the same thing we got in the church, except instead of just Israel as a nation, ethnic Israel, now it is Jew and Gentile together under Christ on the foundation of the apostles, which is the word then we now are entrusted to speak the word. And that is God's wisdom. And that gives God glory that he's able to work his truth out through sinful messengers. It's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. In first Timothy um, three, the church is called uh, the church of the living God is called the pillar and support of truth. That's God's doing that we are called the pillar and support of truth. You know, a pillar uh, supporting um, uh, typically a roof in ancient, ancient times. Uh, the support could be either a foundation or it could be the structure or the buttress, which was the structure that supports a wall to reinforce it. But the point is, is that God's truth has been given to the church and the church is, the, is to support it, to uplift it, to cherish it, to safeguard it. Mm -hmm. And to make it known. Mm -hmm. Hold it up and display its beauty, right? And that's, that's, and that's the point, that the truth of God, which reveals the glory of God, is beautiful. And it, is, it ought to be held up high so that everyone can see it and run to it and learn it and know it. Um, so that's the church's role in the world is to be that pillar of that support. Yeah, and, I think, and that's exactly why we get texts like Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith that was once handed down to the saints. Or you could say contend earnestly for the truth that was mm -hmm. given to you. Um, we're supposed to be the ones that uphold it. And I, and I love, I, I have a quote here from John MacArthur. I, I think it's just a helpful one. He says, the church has a stewardship of scripture, the duty to guard it as the most precious possession on earth. Churches that tamper with, misrepresent, depreciate, relegate to secondary place, or abandon biblical truth destroy their only reason for living. For existing, yeah. <laughs> for existing. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? Yeah. If your church isn't being the pillar in support of the truth, then why do you exist? Yeah, you and you're... I think that's that's part of the the problems that you get into, like when you get to Revelation and Jesus is walking around his churches. He's looking at who's doing just that. And he even goes after a group like the Ephesians um, who did uphold the truth, 
but they didn't uphold the application of that truth, which was love. And Jesus then threatens to pull them, you know, to pull them out of being called his church. So I think that's, I think it's helpful to, to see that God's wisdom, God's glory is seen in the fact that he's given his truth to the church so that we would proclaim his excellencies. Mm-hmm. That's his glory, his wisdom, which gives him glory on display. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in general, the church glorifies God by exalting his truth to the, to the, to the degree that we hold up and hold forth the truth of God. We glorify God. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But in particular, not only the truth in general, but the wisdom in particular is on display through the church. Explain that. And what, what passage are you thinking of there? Yeah. So the wisdom, Ephesians uh, 3.10, we were just in Ephesians 4 last week talking about uh, uh, the unity of the church and the body and such. But in chapter 3, Paul makes this really interesting statement uh, in talking about uh, the mystery of the church. So he goes to start 3.8, and to me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles, the unfathomable riches of Christ to bring to light. What is the administration of the mystery, which for ages had been hidden in God who created all things. And there he's talking about the church talking about that. The Gentiles uh, were to come into God's people and to word be the people that then spread the gospel. He then says in three ten, Ephesians three ten, so that and there's your purpose statement. So that, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known through the church. And you think it would be okay to stop there, right? Because that's true. If we say it's that we're, we are to manifest his great wisdom um, uh, through the church to the world. But what he says there, how Paul finishes is that, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which is really, a it seems like a bizarre statement. Like why wouldn't we be the wisdom of God to rulers and authorities on earth? Mm-hmm. But rather it's in the heavenly places. And so, basically what Paul is getting at here is that God has brought the church into being for the purpose of manifesting his great wisdom before angels, before angels. Why do why do you, why is that the case? I don't know. <laughs> I guess because they, some of them anyway, the ones who fell thought God's, wisdom or God's glory wasn't all that spectacular. And so the church is God's way of showing otherwise, right? Apparently his, his wisdom in bringing this thing into existence called the church made of both Jews and Gentiles who share their common identity and life and purpose in Christ that displays uh, at least an element of the wisdom of God that could not otherwise have been known and shown to them. It's interesting, isn't it? How that elevates our view of the church above 
just our little self-centered, you know, world. Like there's something going on here that's bigger than me and you and even earth. Uh, it's what God is doing through the church. And, and what he's doing is proving a point, proving a point about himself to these other created beings. So it's just an amazing thought that elevates our view of the church, I think, to an even higher level than it would be otherwise. Yeah, and we can even see this with holy angels when when somebody comes to know the Lord, they rejoice and give God glory. Mm -hmm. And they now see the wisdom of God. And then even though um, unholy angels, fallen angels, demons have no desire or capacity to praise God, they still see that even against their own work, I think, is what he's trying to get at against mm -hmm. their work. Mm -hmm. The wisdom of God continues to work through the church mm -hmm. by persevering the church, that everything they do just makes the, the church stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, I mm -hmm. think that's what this is probably getting at here and talking about that. Yeah. So it's not just the wisdom of God that gives him glory that, that we proclaim his wisdom, but also we find this really interesting text in John chapter 15 where we see that we give God glory by bearing fruit as the church. Well, what do we mean by this? Yeah, the, the vine and the branches uh, passage in John 15, again, another analogy for the church. We talked about the body analogy, but this is one too, how the church is uh, our branches in the vine. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. We are branches. Um, and verse eight says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So that phrase ought to arrest our attention. The father is glorified in a very particular way in the church. And that is that as we bear fruit, we prove to to be Christ's followers in the world. And, and God is glorified through that. That's what Jesus is saying. God is glorified by the fruit that we bear. And that's why it's so important to him to prune the branches so that they bear even more fruit. And that's a helpful way to think of all the different trials and, and pains in your own life, you know, why did this happen to me? Could it be a part of the father, the vine dressers pruning uh, because you are fruitful and he wants to make you even more fruitful. Mm -hmm. And so, but again, why? Because that's what glorifies him. So we ought to want to be fruitful in our lives. Uh, we, we ought to want to abide in Christ so that we bear much fruit because that is what glorifies the father, you could ask, well, what, what kind of fruit is he talking about here? What kind of fruit do we bear? Um, obviously he's talking about spiritual fruit, which could include the fruit of the spirit, right? Galatians five, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, uh, long suffering, faithfulness, and so on. Uh, it could be fruit in terms of, um, um, other believers, other, other people that we minister to and evangelize so that they become followers of Christ as well. That's fruit. Um, the fruit of, of 
praise and thanksgiving? Is it in Hebrews? Uh, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, mm-hmm. uh, doing good and sharing those kinds of fruit. So in general, it's, it's living lives that prove us to be his disciples, in other words. And that, that brings the Father glory as we bear the image and likeness. That's what, that's what fruit is. Fruit is the outgrowth um, of the vine, right? And so as we bear fruit, what are we doing? We're, uh, we're magnifying the nature and, and the character of Christ and the beauty of Christ. That's what's on display in the fruit that's that's coming off of those branches that abide in the vine so that's why it glorifies the father so we should seek to be fruitful um, individually and as churches for that reason and even in that text of john 15 at the very end john 15 11 of that section he says i've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full so fruit and pruning <laughs> that brings glory to God actually also produces joy in us. So a lack of pruning or a lack of fruit doesn't bring God glory and it doesn't bring you joy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that Jesus put that right there with us. Of course, the next thing he says after that is here's my commandment, love one another, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so it goes right into body life, yeah. you know, and caring for people. So part of the fruit of that is definitely love. We do have one more thing uh, before we wrap up here, and that is to talk about the fact that the church glorifies God, excuse me, glorifies God by provoking unbelieving Israel to jealousy and repentance. What? Mm-hmm. Where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. I think this is one we try to avoid, <laughs> but I don't know if we can avoid this um, because the, the text in the New Testament is very clear. And I think this has to start with remembering Israel's history. Remember, Israel was freed from Egypt to pursue their destiny to become a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You know, a priest was one who represented God to people. A holy nation represented God to the nations, to the world. That was the goal, Exodus 19.6. And so God gave Israel law and set them apart, and their obedience to his law served then as would serve as a, a witness to the nations that would draw people to the God of Israel. But we all know what happened in the history of the Old Testament. They failed. Instead of being a holy nation that positively attracted the nations of God, Israel worshipped the gods of the nations. And then they were taken captive by the nations. They, re- they broke the Mosaic Covenant from time, to, uh, time and time again. And even when Jesus came uh, to bring the kingdom in, they rejected him, attributing his works to the power of Satan. And then as a consequence of their rejection, God brought about the church under the new covenant. So not Israel under the new covenant, but rather the church under the new covenant, which is made up of dominantly Gentiles. Um, And Jesus gave to the church the flag of being this kingdom of priests to the nations, a holy people who follow their king, uh, who by their obedience and his gospel, they would be the ones who go and attract the nations to the one true living God. And this this would happen until, as Jesus talked about in Luke 21, until it was until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Which means we're we're in that. We're it is mm-hmm. it is that time. And and the Jews though could still come into the church, ethnic Israel, 
they only come into the church at this time because the Gentiles, the church that's around the world, that is a, um, a nation of nations, a nation of tongues and tribes and nations. Um, we proclaim the gospel and Paul tells us, and here's where we get to the point. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 that this causes jealousy in Israel. So he quotes from Romans 10. So he quotes Moses uh, in Romans 10, talking of Israel. I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. Uh, he goes on in chapter 11. By Israel's transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Their failure is riches for the Gentiles. This is, this is pretty crazy stuff right here, just reading that all by itself. Uh, that, that, that the way that God is now sending out his message into the world is not through Israel, but through the church. And the promise of salvation is now in the church and not with Israel. Hmm. And so Paul calls this what? A hardening, right? Mm-hmm. He calls this a hardening and, and it's, and God has then used us in sort of a passive way to make Israel jealous that they missed their opportunity to be the light to the nations. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is the encouraging part of that is that hardening doesn't last forever, right? That's right. God's not done with Israel. Uh, There is a coming generation of the Jews that will look upon the church that is full of Gentiles and they will see for the first time the love and compassion and grace and forgiveness that their God is poured out on the Gentiles and they will desire that blessing and they will turn to their Savior whom they've pierced and in true repentance and faith. And that's really that's really how God then receives glory, not just from still getting his message out, but then using that message in the future from even now to bring about future repentance. Uh, Is it just a few Jews though there, Brad? Until all Israel, yeah, all Israel will be saved. The fullness of the Gentiles uh, and then all Israel will be saved. So we take that to mean Israel as a whole, Israel as a nation, all the, Israelites living at that time will come to a knowledge of, of salvation. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So if I were to wrap, if I wrap all this up and we need to wrap up here, I can say this, the purpose of the church, that is why we exist mm-hmm. is to give God glory by being the pillar and support of the truth to bear fruit as true disciples and to be an eventual catalyst that will bring about the salvation of Israel. That's pretty profound purpose, isn't it? It Certainly elevates our thinking above where we normally think about the church. And so that's why, wow, we, we need that. We need to think that way. This is about God and his glory. Um, Not just me and my felt needs or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think that gets us out of our, our whole of selfishness, because not only is that what the church is about, that's what every individual Christian is to be about. And, and you know, Paul sums this up really good in Romans 11 at the very end, after talking about salvation for eight chapters in Romans, 
and then talking about how salvation for the Jews will eventually come, ethnic Israel. In chapter 11 of Romans, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, but the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. What a way to end. Yeah. Talking about what the purpose of the church is. It is for his glory and his glory alone. Well, you've been listening to the Local Church Matties podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully you'll join us again next week where we talk about the matters of the local church and why the local church matters.